I don't know what your favorite Christmas song might be, but um, I was in Starbucks this week. I spend a lot of time in Starbucks uh, up in Idaho Springs because Barb works there and coffee's cheaper there, <laughs> but also Barb works there. So um, uh, one of the s- albums for sale, in fact, the only real Christmas album for sale was this Michael Bublé. I hope you've heard of him. He's Canadian more of a pop singer, ballad singer. And it seems to be selling very well because there was only one there when I got it. And as I looked it over, there's over 20 songs uh, that are there. And and some of these might be your favorite. So you see, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas, a cold December night, blue Christmas, my favorite. Um, white Christmas, uh, you got all of these that are um, that are listed. And I, I just found it very interesting that these seem to have something in common as he put together a list. Can you see what the commonality is? Pardon? Oh, that's number three. Okay, let me give you the first two. You're, I always knew you were an advanced crowd. Um, the first is they're all sung by Michael, by Michael Buble, okay, a Canadian. So he does them all. The second is they're all well-known Christmas songs. The third is uh, that none of these out of the 20 are Christmas songs about Jesus. He's, his name is never mentioned in any of those. Now, it's a great album. Friends, don't, I mean, don't be afraid to buy it if that's what you want. Uh, but he, he includes in there Ave Maria, which I'm sorry, it is never Christmas to me. Uh, but he also has Silent Night, and, and, that's, and that's it. So you'll sit and you'll listen to 20 wonderful Christmas songs. It points out that over the, um, over the decades in the United States of America, we love Christmas. But we especially love it because of, you know, the I'll be home for Christmas, the, the, the human relationships that seem to bond so well at that time. But the other thing that you probably are hearing in churches and from other Christians is, oh, all this grumbling about we need to put Christ back into Christmas. And I would agree, we do. But also understand that you're not the first generation to complain about this. Understand that from the very beginning, putting Christ anywhere was outlawed. So from the first century church, they were always in trouble, always being persecuted, uh, always probably having to, um, uh, to celebrate the special uh, feast days like Easter and, and the Resurrection Sunday and, and Christmas, uh, either in their homes or, or in their quiet places of worship. They weren't allowed to have the big parties. And, and these big parties all began in about the 4th century uh, and, and really helped by uh, Emperor Constantine in 323 A.D. when he said the state religion will now be Christianity. And soon after that, a special mass was held on December 25th to commemorate Jesus' birth. So that special mass is called Christ Mass. Well, that's how we get even the term Christmas, and it happens, you know, not on a Sunday like most Catholic Masses, but on any special, I mean, on December 25th. And it was also tied, December 25th was chosen, not necessarily at random, but we don't have a clue as to the day of the year Jesus was born on. Uh, And it doesn't matter. What matters is not when, but who. Uh, 
But they looked at, you know, okay, how are we going to put this in for this new empire, which is supposedly all Christian? And they chose days that were already being celebrated. So there was a, a, a winter solstice and a, and a goddess of light because from the winter solstice on, uh, there were, there was going to be more light, more daytime light. And, and so they chose something right between those two festivals, which were, which were pretty close together. And so the winter solstice and this goddess of light, uh, became the time when we celebrated Christmas. And, and the, here's the thing, and me, me, I hope you found this true. This is true in my life, I know. We can change a name. We can change winter solstice to Christmas. That doesn't change a heart. Uh, you can call me Jim the Magnificent, but I'm still Jim. Yeah. Right? You can do all those things, but it doesn't make that big of a difference. I like Jim the Magnificent. It might help me become more magnificent, but I'm still me. So... And you have to understand that humans in general love to party. And if you're one of those that doesn't like to party, there may be something desperately wrong with you. <laughs> so it's our nature to want to get together and to have fun. Some have called this hedonist, but because of Jesus, I think Christians should be the, 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 the ultimate hedonist. So understand that Jesus, when people wanted to get to him and tell him what he was doing wrong, what did they say? You're a friend of sinners. You're always eating and drinking too much. He partied. So over the centuries, Christmas has become a time of much food, much drink, much dancing, and even tournaments of, of feats of strength. Uh, the Romans had sword play. They would, you know, have sword contests on Christmas, you know, as the empire was expanding and then declining. Uh, then you go to the, uh, you know, the... Uh, the, the times of nights, they would have jousting tournaments on Christmas Day. And you look at the tapestries and the paintings of, of those, uh, uh, of those mid-century years, and, and you see that they're playing and dancing and having a wonderful time, and knights are jousting with one another on their horses and their, you know, those long things. And, 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 and don't you think, don't you think that's really marvelous that we celebrate the Prince of Peace by practicing war? <laughs> You get it? It's always been mixed up. Always has been, always will be. And there's something about us that says, you know, instead of worshiping uh, the baby who's arrived, there's, there's parts of us that just say we want to enjoy the, the human benefits of what it means to get together. So you might say that it does not, the Christian, uh, the, the Christmas as we know it, does not seem Christian, but... But it depends on how you define it. Uh, there is dancing. There is food and drink. We do that normally. And the Christians, in, instead of uh, uh, starting something new, they absorbed the old festivals and, and tried to redefine them. Well, there's other things that go on. Let me tell you about a few things in the United States. The early, uh, in the early colonies, the Puritans were so appalled at the way that the worldly Bostonians celebrated Christmas. They said, we outlaw Christmas. The Puritans outlawed Christmas in 1659. It didn't work. But Christians say we won't celebrate Christmas. 
1792, President George Washington had a Christmas riot outside his home. It was The White House was not yet built, but it was over the whiskey tax. So taxation without representation on whiskey. And there was a Christmas riot about whiskey. In England, the drunkenness and immorality was so common that the government attempted to move the celebration of, Christ, of Christmas into the homes and to make it more family-oriented. So as you read um, uh, Charles Dickens and, and the Christmas Carol, with, uh, as he writes about this fictional character called Ebenezer Scrooge, uh, Ebenezer Scrooge rejects every Christmas his, ne- his nephew's invitation to Christmas dinner. And if you've seen the movies, what do they do at Christmas dinner? They play cards. They sing songs that are popular songs, not Christmas songs. Uh, they, they are involved in games and dancing. And yet Scrooge, when he is compared to the Cratchit family, uh, the Cratchit family is poor, but they celebrate in the most humble of Christmas uh, dinners, and, and they have a sick child named Tiny Tim who will die if he's not cared for, but the, but the Cratchits cannot afford a doctor. But, but, but Dickens says it doesn't take a lot of money and a lot of celebration to have a lot of joy. However, Charles Dickens never mentioned Jesus. Not once. Isn't it a great story, though? I love it. About uh, six or seven versions of the movie have been made. So every generation understands, whether it's Dickens or, or first century Christians or the Roman Empire or, or, or the medieval times, every generation has to work at putting Christ into Christmas not putting Christ back into Christmas. That's our job. It's the way we live and the way we celebrate. And, and so we've been doing a series now that we call uh, Remind and Rekindle, looking at those two words. We want to remind ourselves every Christmas what God does for us that first Christmas in sending Jesus. He is the, you might say, the founder of the feast. We have learned what Christmas means and we want to be reminded, not just say, oh, I remember that, but instead it, it returns. It, it, it's put in the forefront. It's not forgotten, but it's in the forefront. And whatever the eternal facts may be about Christmas in terms of what God accomplished in sending Jesus, we also need to rekindle them. And by rekindle, I mean to bring the warmth back of them so that they touch not just their minds,
And he says in John 1.1, as it was read by Rob and Pam this morning, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning. As this is read to us, understand that the, what we call the Word is, is known in both Greek and Hebrew as this term logos. And it was used mainly by the Greeks, but when the Jews wrote the Greek version uh, of God speaking, uh, they also used this same uh, Greek word. What are we getting at here? We're looking at the Jews, as John writes um, <clears throat> about in the beginning was the word. John writes so that every Jew would go back, I've seen something like this before. I've memorized something like this before. Oh, that's right. Genesis 1.1 where it says, in the beginning, just like in John 1.1, but also then it says, and, and the world was dark and void, and then it, it says, and then God spoke, and he said, let there be light. What's being connected for the Jews here is just as when God speaks, let there be light, and there is light. So understand that when God <coughs> speaks, he speaks through his logos, his word. So every Jew would say, what John is doing here is he's starting something like, like a new chapter. God did his creation and his sustaining of creation through speaking. And now it says he's speaking again, doing something else. So then he speaks to the Greeks. And the Greeks use this word a lot. You can go into their great philosophers and they'll often talk about logos and it has many meanings. But one of the great meanings was the logos is the guiding principle of the universe. It's what uh, brings reason and order and, and what sustains existence. You see... They realized that as they had all of this pantheon of, of gods that were so much like people, they didn't seem like gods, uh, that there had to be something else behind them because those gods were always into mischief. They were always you know, slapping people and, and uh, causing, uh, causing people to suffer. And so uh, what they, there has to be something bigger than the gods. And they came up with this term, the Logos. And as John uses that term to describe Christ. He says, the Logos is not a principle, but he blows their mind by claiming the Logos is a person. The guiding principle of the universe is is not a God who is mischievous, but the guiding principle of the universe is a person whom we call Christ Jesus. So while... Uh, throughout the ages, the Christians have argued that, you know, it, it has to be one or the other, as it says here. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Uh, uh, and so Christians have said, well, it can be one or the other, but it can't be both. Either you're with God, or you are God. can't be both. Uh, if you're with God, it means that you know, you come to this earth and, and, and you, you sort of, uh, have, uh, uh, maybe a special, uh, gift to, to your nature. Maybe you're very charismatic or something like that or very holy. That's what it's like if you're with God. But if you are God, now we're talking about a whole different picture. 
And what John is trying to say is, he's not one or the other, he is both. That's why he said it. And so it is the end of the discussion, even though Christians still seem to be arguing over that. He's both. And he must be to us. To be with God means we can identify more with God because there's no one more like God than Jesus. But also to be God means that he is God. So we identify, but because he is God, we worship him. Well, think through one of the, you know, some of the implications of that would be, well, if that's what the word is, if it is the logos, the guiding principle of the universe, who is a person who was both God and with God from eternity and will be for eternity, what is, let's eliminate some other things. What, what other term could we have used? Come on, let's, I mean, Maybe there's some other way in which we can express what Jesus is like. Uh, if God expresses himself through Jesus in a way that we try to understand, but, but are there some other things that work or don't work? Notice that John did never say that Jesus is God's deed. Why do we say that? I mean, if he would have said God's deed, we understand that deeds are a little ambiguous, aren't they? But by that I mean, I can do a good deed for all the wrong motives. And I have. I know you haven't, but I have. I, 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 and, and everybody says, oh, he's such, you know, he, he's just such a good person. Look at this deed that he, done, that he has done. I can give a gift to my children. And, and, and the other children will come to the conclusion, you love that child most. It's not why I gave the gift, but that's what they thought my motive was. And it can be the same. He's not God's deed. So that people will not read into my actions or the actions of God motives that are not true. Jesus is also not God's thoughts or God's thought because I must admit, I have a lot of thoughts that are my thoughts, that are private thoughts. I know God knows them, but I never plan to verbalize those thoughts. When a thought becomes a word, it, it, what it's doing, it's moving from me to another. And so when he uses the word logos, that term, he's saying this is not a private thought that God has about who Jesus is. It's moving from God to you because he's trying to communicate with you. So it's not a thought. It's the word. Neither is Jesus a feeling. He's not God's feeling. He's God's word, God's logos. Feelings are just as hard to accurately read, I think, as my deeds. My children have often read a feeling of anger that they see in me, and they assume that I'm angry at them. And sometimes they would be right, but many times I have to learn to say, look, I'm just angry. It's not that I'm angry at you. Something else has happened in my day that has made me angry. So please overlook that and I'll try to be happy. When John uses that title, Logos or Word, for the Son of God called Jesus, his name, his actions, his teachings and everything about him tells us that he is God's communication to humanity. He is God's fullest expression so that we would know what God is like. See, Jesus is always in eternal communication with his Father because 
he is his expression. There's never a time in which you might say the son strayed from the father. But instead, the son is sent by the father and Jesus is in full agreement. But he's also the father's divine expression to us, to humanity. He is God's self-expression made as visible and as accessible for us as is humanly possible. Friends, what a God. He couldn't make what he is like any more clear than, by the way, he sent his son to us. He couldn't make God any more understandable than to put flesh on God. So when somebody misses that great work of God, what they are missing is the most central reason for the celebration. And they settle for human reasons, and those are fine. That's not bad. But the one thing they miss is the glory of God and the actions of God. God wants his son to be his expression and the center of the Christmas celebration. And the way he's proved that is he sent his Logos to be worshipped at Christmas as he deserves. Now, I think the issue would be if we hear grumbling about commercialism, <laughs> secularism, uh, and how Christmas is celebrated, we understand, hey, there's no such thing as the good old days, Okay. Just forget it. These are the good old days. The issue then would be, what do we do as people? What do we do as followers of Christ to try to keep Jesus or reinsert Jesus into Christmas? You might say, I'm just one person. Yes. But the chances are you're going to be with several groups of people at the Christmas season. And I want to give you a challenge. Okay, Listen to this. Think about it. Uh, we're going to go more and just, just one other scripture about it from John chapter 1. But I, I want to give you a challenge, and especially to the men. Why? Because I'm a man. It's easier for me to challenge men than to challenge women. But also, I think, men, if you are like me, you're always wondering, how far can I go? Or do I go anywhere? I don't want to lose these relationships. I don't want to look like a Bible thumper. How far can I go? Well, if the word or the logos is God's self-expression, if God says, you know, um, the best way that I can show myself and make myself known to my creation is to send Jesus. Now that he's come, who's responsible? And the answer is us. I want to give you just a term, be the word. You, be the word this Christmas. Pray, think creatively. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. The word was eternally with the Father. Now, to make Christ be inserted into Christmas, you be the word. You might say, well, I, I 
don't know how to do that. Well, first of all, understand that faith is both taught, and we can do that in the homes, and we can do that in the churches. We can tell people about who Jesus is. But faith is also caught. And, and so uh, understand we can teach about Jesus anywhere, and, and some people want to listen. But I, I want to say this, that you are the best living examples that your friends and your family have when it comes to God's work in a life. I'm going to say that you are the best living examples that your family and your friends have about how God works in a life. If you're humble, that might be hard to swallow. But if you're realistic, understand you have a faith that is supposed to shine out. The light that God expresses Jesus through is through people who are following him. And if you go to verse 16, it says, From his fullness, or the fullness of his grace, we have all received grace after grace. That is like saying God continues to to grace each of us through his work in our lives in a, in a continual basis. So, I, you know, I, I've had the privilege of sitting at tables and restaurants and coffee shops with you, and, and many of you have shared not just your questions, but some marvelous things about what God is doing. Marvelous things. And I'm in awe. For some of you, it has been a long period of duration of thinking things through, and, and yet uh, your experience here at Bergen Park Church God has used to change your life in many ways. I've seen anger be dissipated into love. I've seen people go through hard experiences and great losses and give testimony to me that God's not absent. God's right there. I've seen some of you really agonizing over some relationships in your life and you realize probably the best thing I can do is first pray and secondly apologize for anything you've done wrong and you've gone and you've done that. I've seen some of you renew your faith after decades away from Christianity. It's not that you rejected it, you just didn't want anything to do with it for a while. And so you stayed away for years and years and now you're, you're sort of in this renewal process. God's at work. Fred, you know, as I talk to you and, and, I, and I hear about what he is doing, whether slowly or quickly in your life, almost all of you have stories for me about what God has done. Well, I just want you to know I appreciate those. There's some who would appreciate them more. I would like you to just begin to pray. Now, I have a week's head start on you. I start on this message Monday morning, so I have a whole week's head start. Uh, But I I would like you to begin to pray. Um, First of all, look at the gatherings you're going to be in. And what would be an appropriate way, both men and women, but especially men, you know, we strong, silent men. Um, What would be an appropriate way not just to share your faith 
intellectual faith in Jesus, but to share some of the things that he's doing. Got it? No, I mean, not not the answer, but the thought. (laughs) What are some of the things that he's doing? And then how can those be shared? We have, um, I guess you'd call them, in essence, three children-in-laws, children's and children-in-laws. And uh, becoming a, you know, coming into the Demoler family is a rough experience, and we understand that. Um, you're not Albanian, so you're not that good. Uh, you know, your pedigree has to improve, and all these other things. But n- nobody is probably more. Mm, you know, uh, do I fit in? Am I loved? Am I accepted? Than than those three. And I've just decided they're each going to get a letter from Jim, and and just say, I, I want you to know. And Jesus is going to be mentioned in those letters. I, I leave it to you, but I'd like you to begin to, first of all pray. Be aware of what those situations are going to be. And Lord, say, guide me. Just thought, that's, that's all. Just guide me, Lord. What could I say that would make Jesus bigger in our Christmas celebration? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. What a great opportunity you give to us that we gather for Christmas for the specific purpose of remembering that you did something once and once only in sending your son Jesus. And we want to celebrate fully, not putting down anybody that is maybe uh, leaving Jesus out or just singing the secular songs and the, the love songs of Christmas, but we want to celebrate fully and put people into it. Thank you. Amen.